Hello and welcome to the BNP Paribas Market 360 podcast. We cover the topics that matter from the global economy to market strategy. Hello, I'm Trevor Allen, Head of Sustainability Research and Markets 360. And today I'm joined by Sumati Semavoy-Jane, Sustainability Research Analyst on my team. It's Tuesday morning here in London on the 13th of June, 2023. Today, we will focus on water, in particular, fresh water. Access to clean fresh water has generally been taken for granted in many countries, which at times has contributed towards increased waste and pollution. However, as a greater focus has been placed on water quality as of late, and supply chains are becoming increasingly traceable, we are seeing business activities coming under closer scrutiny from policymakers, regulators, rating agencies, and investors on this topic. Further, water stress underlies many of the sustainable development goals, the SDGs, which can help provide both public and private investors with a roadmap for investing in critical areas. So it is against this backdrop that water as a theme has gone from a trickle to a torrent in the minds of both public and private investors. First things first, Sumati, would you briefly distill us with the challenges we face in gaining access to fresh water globally? No doubt we're facing water scarcity. By 2025, more than 60% of the world's population will be exposed. Already there was a 60% fall in the world's renewable freshwater resources per capita since the 60s. This has partly been driven by climate change, such as water evaporation due to warmer temperatures, um, higher frequency of droughts, less snowfall, deforestation, and more, and unsustainable water management practices, such as overexploitation due to its low price, inadequate infrastructure, and linear business models. And most importantly, it's not sufficient to focus on water quantity. We also need to address declining water quality, which has been undermeasured and overlooked. Water pollution occurs when harmful substances such as fertilizers, pesticides, and chemicals from human activities infiltrate ground and surface water. This can be due to insufficient treatment of wastewaters from industrial production and municipal use before release and by fertilizer or pesticide overuse in agriculture, reducing water oxygen levels. Sumati, what are the large regional differences in addressing water stress? Indeed, water resources are distributed unequally on the planet. The Middle East and North Africa suffer most from lack of fresh water, while Latin America and the Caribbean possess about three times the world average. But while some high-income economies might look on average fine, a deeper investigation reveals large intra-regional disparities in most parts of the world. A good example is the U.S., where the West Coast faces considerable strain on its water supplies compounded by multi-year droughts and wildfires. But northeastern states also suffer from other specific challenges, such as coastal eutrophication caused by agricultural activities. And Europe isn't uh, spared either, with some regions in Spain already implementing water restrictions even before the summer officially starts. But it's clear that emerging countries are most a threat. 
Lack of appropriate water infrastructure, especially for collecting and treating wastewater, remains an important hurdle. Besides, investments still need to triple annually by 2030 to achieve universal targets for drinking water, sanitation, and hygiene. These water challenges compound to other green-related investment needs, and the more we wait, the more the funding gap is widening. You mentioned the impact of unsustainable water management practices compounding water stress. Sumati, in your view, what could spur a change in corporate behavior, particularly around consumption and waste? Impact materiality is increasingly perceived as having financial materiality through rising transition risks. In particular, policy and regulations are helping to make water a more prominent ESG factor. On the policy side, there is increasing water use or pollution restrictions and water pricing policies. All attempts to apply the beneficiary pays and polluter pays principles and address the negative externalities. Some examples are water trading systems found in a few countries of the world. Other examples include、uh, quotas for irrigation in water scarce areas, above which farmers need to pay a penalty, and the price per unit of water differs depending on water scarcity levels to incentivize precision irrigation and other techniques such as drip irrigation. So. Companies may also face reputational risk from media scrutiny or social activism campaigns. Unmanaged transition risk can result in volatile revenues, higher costs of financing, higher taxes,、uh, missed growth opportunities, so insufficient level of investment in innovation, and other material risks. Now, better data and more stringent disclosure requirements are also playing a key role. So under Europe's、uh, CSRD, the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directives,、um, companies will be required from 2024 to assess, amongst other, water and marine-related、uh, factors. So companies will have to disclose where in their operations and along the value chain their interface with water occurs. And these locations can be entered into tools such as the World Resources Institute's、uh, ACADUC or the WWF Water Risk Filter to translate those into measures of water risks and pressures. And water will also benefit from the momentum seen on the biodiversity front. Water ecosystems are key to the disclosure framework developed by the TNFD, the Task Force for, Task Force for Nature-Related Risks. Um, additionally, the Science-Based Targets Network、uh, released the first targets for nature last month, aligned with the Global Biodiversity Framework adopted at COP15, the TNFD Beta Framework, and others such as CDP. And the guidance for setting freshwater science-based targets will help corporates ident- identify pressures that need to be addressed and then prioritize and set the meaningful targets、uh, accordingly. That's interesting. So, really, the first step to get corporates to act is for them to understand their exposure and vulnerability to water stress, i.e., for them to conduct in-depth reviews of their supply chains and footprint assessments, but also improving their transparency and their reporting. But what about the most harmful sectors in terms of pollution and waste? What are the solutions they could look to implement? 
One thing is clear, investors are now applying scrutiny on the full supply chain of companies because problem solving needs to start upstream and go all the way downstream. We can take the example of the apparel sector. The sector's contribution to water stress starts with the sourcing of raw materials. For example, to produce one kilogram of cotton, which is about 33% of fibers found in textile, you need more than 22k liters of water, often from water stressed areas, and that's only enough for about three or four large shirts. And the other materials used are also water intensive and polluting, such as leather, where significant water is amount of water is needed to raise animals and feed them, and synthetic textile der derived from oil feedstock, also water intensive. Now, in terms of water quality, the apparel sector contributes to 20% to zero of global water pollution, largely driven by the dyes. So colorants and trace metals can end up in water bodies. So scrutiny needs to be applied across the full value chain again. And indeed, in Europe, only 12% of water consumption of textile actually happens on the ground. But there are growing innovations for companies which can look to source more sustainable raw materials like organic cotton or linen or you know, use recycled materials. They can also switch to natural or water-less uh, dyes or adopt enzyme finishing. And they can look to implement air washing rather than water washing. And possi possibly, most importantly, they can increase their use of, you know, advanced wastewater treatments for um, water recycling. And on wastewater treatment, a number of uh, techniques can be used such as uh, physical processes, such as reverse osmosis, biological processes, such as membrane bioreactors, and um, chemical processes, such as advanced oxidation processes. The textile and clothing industries are great examples of business activities that are often overlooked despite their considerable impact on water systems. However, moving from the micro to the macro level, what solutions exist to help reduce water stress that will need to see more investment to create real impact? Perhaps let's break down the water cycle into steps. A solution really exists throughout, and I will give some examples. So step one is sourcing of water. Okay, seawater desalination is not a new technology, quite carbon intensive, and criticized for harming marine ecosystems through high salt concentration discharges. But it's a space to watch for the develop development of more environmentally friendly solutions adopted in water stressed areas. Definitely more of an adaptation solution than to mitigate, but likely to gain in scale, uh, we think. And, you know, there are other techniques as well, which include extracting water from, um, air or fog. Um, steps two and three of the water cycle relate to the distribution, storage and use of water. Now that's a big one, where companies need to adopt more water-saving techniques uh, relating back to the supply chain uh, point we made earlier. And here, digitization and the use of smart data are essential to remotely manage water-related assets and anticipate potential leaks. Now the final steps of the water cycle include wastewater collection, treatment, and reuse. And this allows to go from linear business models and a broken water cycle to a more sustainable repurposing of used water to ensure the water cycle remains protected. So 
that can be reused water can be used, for instance, in industries for cooling or for toilet flushing in municipalities. Besides, recovered nutrients can be turned into fertilizers, for example, and sludge into biogas, unlocking new revenue streams for corporates. And the space is getting good attention in, this, in industries, in developed uh, economies. But adoption at municipal level in emerging markets would be the, the true game changer, really. So more, most importantly, supporting nature is a universal solution that applies throughout the water cycle. You know, healthy soils, forest and vegetation can all help store water and prevent runoff. So nature-based solutions help replenish our water sources and tackle root causes in contrast to aftershock adaptation solutions, thus delivering on multiple parts of the water cycle at once. For example, natural or constructed wetlands can store excess rainfall, thus reducing the impact of floods and droughts. The presence of vegetation and certain soil content in wetlands can also naturally filter the water. Similarly, in the green infrastructure space, uh, permeable surfaces or rain um, gardens enable water to infiltrate the ground, reducing flooding risk, improving soil quality and replenishing stored water levels. So it seems the path forward will entail a mix of mitigation and adaptation strategies, i.e. looking to restore the world's natural water cycle while also looking for alternative water sourcing. This need for such a multifaceted and global response could mean that the funding gap could exceed $1 trillion annually. Samati, this will be the last question, I promise. What is the mix of private versus public funding? Sure. Well, looking at the funding for biodiversity itself running at 15 to 20 percent max of total needs, the public sector accounts for 80 percent of it. For emerging markets, this is mostly through multinational development banks, allowing to access cheaper forms of financing. And blended finance models are really key to crowd in private investors there. But in order to achieve the aggregate amounts of funding required, corporate investment needs to scale. Actual capital allocation to sustainable supply chain remains scarce relative to the level of corporate commitments. However, as we said before, appropriate regulation and more transparency will help. An area of growth is public-private partnerships, PPPs, to develop on more risky investments. PPPs have been used, um, for example, to clean up rivers, set up wastewater treatment plants, and develop desalination plants across the world. Else, payment for ecosystem services raised almost $10 billion in 2021, with most going towards protecting uh, watersheds. Some examples are payments to landowners for restoring the wetlands and to farmers for implementing water-saving practices. Now, looking ahead, better monitoring technology and but, uh, more appropriate valuation of the resultant impacts might help both um, the PES, so the Payment for Ecosystem Services market, and the biodiversity credit markets to scale up. Sumati, thank you again for offering some great insights into the challenges we face in alleviating water stress. To our listeners, thank you for joining us. 
please check back here soon for more content from the Sustainability Desk here at BNP Paribas Global Markets. For our clients, you can also find all of our latest research on our Global Markets app. The link is in the description. This communication does not constitute research, a recommendation or any form of advice from BNP Paribas or its affiliates. It does not consider your financial circumstances or objectives and it may not be suitable for you. It should not be copied or reproduced in whole or in part.